Hello and welcome to the Age of Victoria podcast. My name's Chris Fernandez-Packham. Let's get on with the show. I'm doing this show to cover some thoughts about historical films and TV series. This was prompted when the lovely Tom Finney at Blue Dolphin Films sent me some films about Queen Victoria to review. Full disclaimer, I'm not receiving any payment for this and I'm not in any way affiliated with or under contract with Blue Dolphin. Before we get going on the film reviews today though, I do have an announcement and a reminder. The reminder is that if you have a question you want answered in the second anniversary special at the end of May, please email me or message me by the 15th of May. Now, the announcement. The show is now on Patreon. This lets you support the show directly. This show consumes huge amounts of books, journals, articles, and also has the cost of hosting the episodes, the website, and more besides. Any support is extremely gratefully received and allows me to keep the wheels on the proverbial wagon. This in turn keeps the show ad-free and independent. Patrons, sign up to one of the monthly tiers. You can be a chimney sweep for $3 a month, a respectable governess for $5, a ho-ho-toff for $10, and if you pledge the insane amount, $20 a month, you are elevated to the rank of John Brown, trusty and well-beloved servant of Her Majesty. All patrons get their names entered into the handwritten journal of Queen Victoria at the appropriate rank to go on the website. All patrons get a mention on the show and various other rewards depending on which tier they've signed up to. Supporting and signing up is easy. Just go to Patreon and search for Age of Victoria Podcast or go to the Age of Victoria Podcast website and hit the Patreon button. I will also try to put a link in the show notes, so you can go there directly. As a side note, the phrase, ha-ha, toffs, was Victorian slang, used by the working class to describe the upper classes, slightly mocking the sound of their laugh. I thought you'd enjoy that bit of trivia. Drum roll, please. Then as we welcome our first patrons, ha-ha, toff, Michelle Gersick was our first supporter. Thank you. Haha, Toff. Michelle Packham was close behind. Our new respectable governesses are Rob Coughlin, who is a long-time friend of the show, and Jeffrey Rubinoff. Thank you, all of you, for being our first patrons. Right, time for our first film review. I started off with Victoria the Great along with a nice glass of single malt, a Glendronach 18, it's a delightful black and white film of her life. It is described as, quote, Victoria the Great, Anna Nagel, takes the title role in Herbert Wilcox's Sumptuous, award-winning biography of Queen Victoria, marking both George VI's coronation and the centenary of Victoria's own accession to the throne. Victoria the Great is an opulent, 
yet engagingly human drama, tracing the monarch's life from childhood through to her diamond jubilee, and in particular, her relationship with her beloved Prince Albert, played by Anton Walbrook, shot in black and white, with a spectacular Technicolor finale. The film was enormously popular, and Nagel won huge acclaim for her sympathetic portrayal of Victoria. End quote. Doing the review seemed so simple, but as I began watching, it got me thinking. Then my little notebook and fountain pen came out. I had some ideas, and things I realised we really need to cover before we can do the review. Let's start with an obvious question that can be deceptively difficult. What is a historical film? Is it just setting a film in the past, enough to make it historical? If so, then A Knight's Tale with Heath Ledger is a historical film, but it is one that throws most accuracy to the winds. What about Pride and Prejudice? That is certainly a film set in a historical period, but it is also set in the world of a novel. Mr Darcy and Miss Bennet are fictional. They are as real as Inspector Lestrade and Inspector Morse. Same problem with films like Shakespeare in Love. Other films aim at more accuracy. Films like Mary Queen of Scots or Elizabeth I. These are very different from A Knight's Tale. They claim to be serious films, depictions of the time with a high degree of accuracy. The problem is when you start digging into them, you can pretty quickly find some striking departures from historical fact. That's a real issue, as so many people get their knowledge of the past from films. Like it or not, people tend to focus on the myths they pick up, rather than actually digging in to see if the real events, people and motivations, match up. This really matters though. Take two of the worst historical films ever made, Braveheart and The Patriot. Braveheart is an entertaining and well-presented film. The battle scenes are epic. The actor, portraying Edward I, gives a brilliant performance. A stellar bad guy number. Unfortunately, the actual events are wildly different from the film narrative. Edward I never threw someone through a window. He wasn't a pagan as described. In fact, he was highly pious and had been on crusades, during which he fought one of the original Order of Assassins. You know, the ones who went on to star in the Assassin's Creed games? One of them tried to kill him in his bedroom, and they had a deadly hand-to-hand fight. William Wallace was not a commoner who lived on a farm. He was a Scottish knight, trained in warfare, and of Anglo-Norman descent from the Scottish lowlands. The Scots of the period didn't wear woad. They hadn't for hundreds of years. The English armies didn't wear uniforms. Tartan kilts weren't a thing in the 13th century. The Battle of Stirling Bridge actually had a bridge in it. The Scots weren't sitting round in their twee farms till the evil English Empire arrived. Scotland and England had gone through frequent border clashes for centuries. Edward I was asked to adjudicate a disputed claim to the Scottish throne 
he ruthlessly and cynically used the opportunity to take over, as many other successful kings throughout Europe at the time would have done. The timeline is utterly screwed up in places. Edward died years after Wallace to the Scots. He was known as the Hammer of the Scots, but he has also been called the English Justinian for his tireless legal reforms. Isabella was only 13 at the time of the rebellion, and so the relationship with Wallace was totally made up. Robert the Bruce never betrayed Wallace. Oh, and the name Braveheart was a posthumous one that was given to Robert the Bruce when his heart was returned to Scotland to be buried after his death. All that is totally forgivable from a storytelling point of view. It is a very entertaining film. The problem is Braveheart becomes a propaganda piece. It pushes a Scottish good, English bad narrative. This isn't to say that the English of the period didn't commit some horrific acts against the Scots. They certainly did, but so did the Scots, as the English peasants living on the borders would have told you. They often had to watch their farms burnt and crops stolen by Scottish border raiders or see their relatives killed in skirmishes. Let's be honest though, most people won't leave the film and dig round the actual history of the reign of Edward I and his actions towards Scotland, so they will be left with a very one-sided view. That matters, because history is much more complicated, and the people in it acted in lots of different ways for multiple reasons. The Patriot, another film from Mel Gibson, takes a horrific massacre that was conducted by the Nazis and copies it, but has it carried out by the British in the War of Independence. It portrays Cornwallis, every British soldier, as absolute morons. Well, this can be annoying, but is it fair criticism? After all, I can watch the excellent film The Longest Day and know it is inaccurate, but still a highly entertaining depiction of World War II and Operation Market Garden. But somehow, that feels a different kind of inaccuracy than, say, the film U571. That's a film that swapped years of heroic efforts of the British to crack the German Enigma Code, including capturing logbooks from a German submarine in May 1941 and replacing them with an entirely American submarine and crew set in 1942. So that's a fairly significant departure from the historical record. So if films can be accurate or inaccurate and still be entertaining, how do we judge them? It's hard to say, to be honest. Enjoyment is subjective. I have decided to adopt a framework for reviewing Victorian-related films, books, or TV shows. First, is it entertaining? Second, is it accurate and does it claim to be highly accurate? And finally, will an audience learn something new or be misled? And finally, I'll try and give a overall rating. I will carry out each review with a warning 
that watching a film is not learning history. If the film says, based on a true story, in a way that implies high degree of accuracy, I'll note it and expect higher standards. That way I can go a bit easier on fun films, like A Knight's Tale, than I can on sodding Braveheart. So, listeners, let's get cracking our first ever film review. This is, of course, entirely subjective. Agree, disagree, it's totally fine. Victoria the Great, made in 1937 and starring Anna Nagel, amongst others. It was commissioned by the royal family and part of the centenary celebrations. Entertainment. First off, this is a really entertaining film for the Victoria fan. It is in black and white, but has been nicely remastered. It is definitely what you might call a classic style of filmmaking. The music is bracingly triumphant and utterly of the time period. This gives the film the feel of Victorian triumphalism straight out of the gate. The pacing is definitely classic in style, old-style filmmaking. It isn't looking to deconstruct or subvert. It resembles the play it was originally supposed to be. There are some great things about this film. Anna is lovely as Queen Victoria. She's quite a soft Victoria. Even when she is being firm and commanding, there's a sweetness to her. I don't know if that is more in keeping with Victoria's manner than the more feisty Jenna Coleman portrayal in the recent TV series. I suspect it might have been, but perhaps a little of the steel Coleman brings is missing from Nagel's performance. A blend of the two would be amazing. A really nice touch as they've nailed Victoria's early hairstyles with the under-the-ears plates. Lord Melbourne has the right look, but has a bumbling comic turn to the performance. It comes across as more buffoonish than witty. This is not the swoon-worthy Rufus Sewell, with a captivating, Byronic hero take on the figure, but maybe perhaps is a bit closer to the reality. Comic turn aside, the coronation and Baron Stockwell, <coughs> the coronation and Baron Stockmar, are all very well done. Then there's Prince Albert, played so well by Anton. He's just a delight to watch. His uptightness makes you squirm during some of the early scenes. His intelligence and determination are as well portrayed as his underlying emotional power. The two leads have good chemistry, so they work well together. That said, this is a film from the 1930s, so it is very much of that period, and you should watch it as a piece from that time. It has no pretensions about exploring in depth the social or economic themes, but to its credit, does touch on the poor, the corn laws, and the hungry forties, as the 1840s were often called, accuracy. So this is where things are a bit more dicey. This film aims to be a reasonably accurate telling of Victoria's life, but is based on a play and was backed by the royal family, so it isn't looking at presenting a history. Also, like any film, it does have to conform to a runtime it has to take some shortcuts to keep things intelligible for the viewers. 
does have the right main characters, doesn't play too fast and loose with the chronology, does have to cut some corners to get to the end, especially as it is covering an enormous period, from her becoming queen to her jubilee. It starts with her just about to become queen. The Duchess of Kent is used as an exposition sometimes to show the audience, look, Victoria's mother was trying to be controlling without having to go through the entire childhood. Still, the decision to ditch Conroy is a bit grating to say the least. The Flora Hastings affair is conspicuously absent. Victoria has a stronger relationship with Sir Robert Peel from the beginning than was the reality. She took some time to warm up to him. There were some little details, like the discussion of income tax, that showed a sharp eye. Costumes are what you would expect from the 1930s. They aim to look the part without actually being super accurate, so everyone is a bit clean, and the clothes often signify the characteristics of the person. The filmmakers did try hard to copy costumes from the British Museum, so there's some really great, accurate outfits, like Lord Melbourne's official court uniform. Still, he can't wear it quite as awesomely as Rufus Sewell, who was also in The Knight's Tale, by the way. It is a triumph to cram so much into one film. It has the ambition for proper old-school filmmaking and is happy to reuse footage of the artillery and bits and pieces as needed. Plus, Victoria had an incredibly eventful life, including an abusive childhood, a whirlwind romance, a number of assassination attempts, a couple of rumoured, never-proved relationships, and lots of children, acquaintance with some of the most famous British figures in history, and her constant involvement in key political events in the 19th century. She's so perfect for film. Oh, hey, maybe even a podcast. Someone should do that. Overall, I really enjoyed this film, and I happily recommend it to fans of Victoria or Elbert. It gives you a bit of a sense how sweeping her reign was how many people were a part of it. It seems to channel a lot of the feelings of the various eras. It's not for everyone's taste, it's not action-packed, and it's not digging into depth of some military events. So if you're looking for an action film, this definitely isn't it. But it's rather sweet. You can pick up the remastered DVD, and I'll give it a solid 7 out of 10. It does what it says on the tin, has a great cast, a nice tone, and a pleasant lightness, combined with some nice points of historical accuracy. It isn't a masterpiece, and the pacing is definitely of the 1930s, but you could absolutely watch it with a cup of tea and an Easter egg on a Sunday afternoon. Now, I also want to catch up on the listener reviews. It has been a long time since I've been able to actually sit down, put these together, ready to read them out, and say thank you. I've had quite a few, but I'm always determined anyone who leaves a review gets it read out on the show. First up is Tigpack, who left a five star, saying, Excellent pod, and gave a whole new insight to Conroy's story. I've learned a huge amount. This episode seemed to flash past as so much content. Love the little humour asides. 
Second is Con Layla, five star, who said, This is the first history podcast I've listened to, and after hearing three episodes, I'm addicted. The show is amazing. Thank you, and I hope the world of podcasting gives you years of pleasure. Third is JFW3, four star, who said, Chris is mellow and relaxed. He makes this an easy lesson with his delivery. His research and depth of knowledge is substantial. I do sometimes think there is a tendency for the series to lose a little focus with the minisodes thrown in everywhere. But it is a minor gripe. I do enjoy the minisodes, but feel they could be organised more chronologically. It's confusing when we're learning about Napoleon and suddenly we're talking late Victorian matchstick girls. Again, a small nitpick, and I'm probably in the minority with my opinion. All in all, this is one of the better history podcasts out there, and I've listened to most of the big ones. Thank you for this review. I love it because it makes me feel like I have one of those smooth jazz radio host voices, like I should be there with a 45, a cigar, and a scotch. I'm probably not cool enough. I do know what you mean about the minisodes, JRW3, but on balance I think the freedom to do other topics alongside the main narrative is something I want to keep. And the minisodes can be completely skipped without affecting progression through the main narrative. I do appreciate the point though. Fourth is from Cole Law, five star, who said, Chris, your love and enthusiasm for the topic comes through in every word of your delightful episodes. I've recently discovered your podcast. My only regret is that as soon as I catch up to date, I'll then have to wait every month for a new episode. Your style reminds me of one of my favourite college history professors of American history at the University of Pennsylvania many years ago, who also kept me in trance with his lectures, which would delve into details of individual lives, ordinary and famous, as they fit into the pattern of American history. I still remember his lecture on Mary Baker Aid. After 53 years, I love history, especially British history, and listening to you present it is a treat. Again, I love this review, not just because it is an awesome compliment, but also because it is a reminder that an inspiring teacher can spark a lifelong interest. I hope I can always live up to this standard. Sixth is from Slater Barter Fast. Five star, entertaining show, well worth the rate. Thank you. Seventh is Fay Star Soul, left a five star review, who said, History can be harsh and sad. Learning about it through a soothing voice helps it land softer. These are my kind of Victorian history lessons. So grateful for the monthly treasures. It is true, we have seen some very hard times for people in the Victorian age. And I'm afraid it will be something of a recurring motif. All I can promise is to try and bring them home and provide a balanced view of their experiences as we go. Eighth is Mariap514, who left a five-star review, saying, 
simply the best. This show has quickly become one of my favourite podcasts. It's high quality, well-researched content. The show flows so well and is captivating, especially for a one-person show. I really appreciate the breadth of topics covered. I'm embarrassed I'd never heard of Mount Tambora before this. I'm having a hard time giving a concise review, but just know it is soothing, informative, highly interesting and well put together. And the host has a voice similar to the character Lane from Mad Men. Or is it just me? It's a good thing. Well done. Keep up the great work and can't wait for more. This is another fab review. I have noticed how much those Mount Tambora shows have resonated with listeners. It's great that people know more about it. I've gone on and on about how important this event was to history. So I'm delighted it has got everyone to sit up and take notice. I'm also glad my voice is like Lane's from Mad Men. I just hope I never end up like he does. Ninth is from Ben 0108816, five star, who said, well researched, good audio quality, nicely done stories. The host keeps his own counsel about where he starts and what stories he tells. I respect that. Thanks, Ben. I like to keep listeners guessing a bit. I'm always looking for new angles and approaches rather than just a standard retelling of history. Eleventh, it's four crowns, gave a five star, saying, This Canadian Anglophile is a fan. Thank you so much for all of the work you put into researching and producing this podcast. I learn so much each time I listen and get so excited when I see a new episode. Your voice is so soothing, which allows me to just relax and drift away into the Victorian world that you draw us into. You are a masterful storyteller. Keep up the good work. Again, I love this one. I'm honoured and glad that I'm opening up a vanished world to people, rather than just giving you a dry narrative. Twelfth is T. Kathleen, five star, who said, Well researched and highly entertaining. I'm so glad I stumbled across this podcast. Fans of history, or even just a well-told story, will enjoy Age of Victoria. The host does a great job of setting the scene before diving into Victoria's life. I only wish the episodes came out more often. Keep up the good work, Chris. I'm glad you did stumble across the show, and you left me such a nice review. As I've said, I would love to release shows more often. I never run out of things to cover. Quite the opposite. Sadly, life as a full-time dad and office worker means I can only do one main show a month and a few extras sometimes, to keep up the quality. Thirteenth is Andrew Woodall, five star, who said, Stumbled across this podcast the other day, and I think it is incredible. He says he's approaching this era not as a scholar, etc., but as an enthusiast. But it is better presented than many scholarly papers I've read. There is a depth and thoroughness to the research and presentation that you don't often see, and although spaced out, the narrative flows seamlessly from one episode into another. I would strongly recommend this podcast to any fan of history out there. What can I say except, 
Oh, thank you. Seriously, I'm thrilled the quality is hitting that level. 14th is Magari Bertie, 56, Aussie girl, who said, Superb, highly recommended, well-researched and presented. I think at this point, I really want to just give a shout out to all the Aussies listening to this. I was blown away by how many of my fans are in Australia, and it's just awesome to have you all. Thank you. 15th is Sam J. writes, who said, Well-researched and charming history show. This is a well-researched and engaging journey through the Victorian era, a time period not heavily explored in pod format. It feels very detailed, yet accessible enough for a casual listen. Highly recommended. Thanks. I'm glad the show remains accessible. As more and more episodes are added, the backstory grows, but I do try to make the various themes hang together, like the Mount Tambora shows or Victoria's early life. It is true that the Victorians aren't often explored. You might notice they're a bit like Marmite, loved or hated, so I'm trying to bring them back into the limelight in a balanced way. 16th is from M. Gershik, five-star, who said, It's not just Victoria. War, volcanoes, booze, ghosts. Who knew that so much excitement could be packed into a podcast's first two years? Chris does a fantastic job covering all aspects of the age of Victoria. You'll also appreciate his personal thoughtful insights on the culture and values of the era. I loved this review so much, I've shamelessly stolen parts of it for the intro spiel for the Patreon page. Yes, we've packed an immense amount in. We've met some incredible people already. Over the coming year, we will add a whole lot more, with new and interesting angles and new parts of the world to explore. I promise. Lastly, is Wills022, five star, who said, well-researched and warmly narrated podcast does a fascinating deep dive into Victoria and her age. I especially appreciate how Chris takes a fair look at both sides of the issue and the people. Looking forward to the future of this podcast. Very professionally done. Thank you. I hope that I can keep that balance as we get into trickier subjects and more difficult topics as the Victorians begin to expand their technology, economy and empire. There we go. As promised, everyone who leads a review gets it read on the show. It was a bit slower than usual because of the two-parter on Victoria's education, which slightly changed my running order. I promise in future I'll make sure the reviews are done more promptly on the show and that'll space them out a bit more as well. I'm off to watch the sequel to Victoria the Great and carry on with the second anniversary special. Just a reminder, get those listener questions to me as quickly as you can. Thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to give me some feedback or just have a chat or ask any questions, you can email me at ageofvictoriapodcast at gmail.com or on Facebook 
on the Facebook page or in the group. Just search for Age of Victoria. If you want more of an informal social chat or a bit of banter, follow me on Twitter at Age of Victoria. Take care and bye for now.